This is episode number 202, Athlete Motherhood and Parenthood Series, with myself and my husband, Matt Iwanis. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. Time management has been interesting. It's been a challenge, but it's been a fun challenge. And all those things that people have told us, which was, oh my God, you're never going to sleep again. You're never going to have any time for yourself. Say goodbye to the things you love, like travel and date nights and all those things. I don't know why everyone piles on these stories of just awfulness. Just maybe it's some kind of a contest of who had it worse. It hasn't felt like a drag or hard or, or I'm pining for the days. In no way, shape or form is it that way. It's so much fun having a little guy and a little baby and it's such an adventure and such a, a point of growth for a couple in their partnership to learn how to work together and how to see them becoming a parent and the joy of seeing Sonia with Bradley and, and vice versa. The joy so far outweighs the challenges. And I think most parents lead with the challenges rather than with the joy. It's been super fun to get to share the journey of becoming a parent with you guys. And I'm really thankful that the information that I've been giving has been empowering to some of you to either get pregnant or to maintain your fitness, maintain your identity while pregnant or postpartum. Once per month, I'm checking in with you to talk about my journey as a new athlete mom. I'll talk about time management, how getting back to and maintaining a training schedule is going postpartum, and the mental and emotional pieces too. I'll tell you what it's really like and hopefully give you some nuggets you can apply to your own lives as well. And I think that this series will be interesting as Bradley, my son, I'm still getting used to saying my son, gets older and he is currently three and a half months old. This podcast is supported by Wahoo Fitness, who has been a great partner during my journey as a pregnant athlete and new mom. I wanted to bring my husband, Matt Iwanis, on this episode as he will appear on some of the other future athlete parenthood episodes because it's not just about being a mom, it's about being a team. And we really wanted to share what we've gone through so far and things that have been really helpful for us. So truthfully, we're trying to record this episode for several weeks. And every time Bradley would go to bed, we would just be tired and just want to relax. And we wouldn't want to record a podcast episode. So I'm, I'm excited to say that we finally recorded it. And our setup was, our, we have a very small house. So we were actually sitting in the entryway of our house, pretty much as far away from Bradley as we could get, which actually wasn't too far. But thankfully, he stayed asleep. And we were able to get this whole episode done. And we actually celebrated after we recorded this episode. It was really fun to sit down and recap what we've been up to as parents for the last three months. And I think oftentimes we forget to zoom out and look at the things that we have been through or accomplished or even just endured. And I get this email newsletter from Morning Brew, and I'll put a link in the show notes. You can actually get referrals if you send people to their newsletter. So make sure you click my link if you want to check it out. But it's just my favorite news newsletter. It's more focused on, I'd say, business and financial side of things, but it's my favorite. And they did a newsletter recently of what the first half of the year has looked like with COVID and the financial crises that happened across the world 
and Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, there's been a ton of things that have happened in 2020. And we also dropped a child, a brand new child into the middle of our mix. And I know many other people have also had babies during this time. I'm actually going to print out that email and put it in Bradley's baby book because it'll be really interesting for him to see the year that he was born. And also 2020 is the year of the U.S. election. So make sure you guys get out and vote. Super important. Speaking of newsletters, I have my own newsletter that comes out every Friday and it has my own personal tips. It has the podcast episode of the week and I'm always working on evolving it so it brings the most value to you. So if you'd like to sign up, that's sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. And I'd love to have you join our crew. We have a ton of people on the list and I'm really thankful for your support. I also want to say big thank you to those of you who are supporting my work financially on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. Or you can make a donation on PayPal. And that is on my website in the show notes and also on sonialooney.com slash podcasts. It truly means the world to me to have your support. And it helps pay my audio producer Roma to make sure that this podcast sounds awesome in your earbuds every single week. In this episode, Matt and I talked about how we approached sleep, schedules, and rhythm for our baby, and some of the books that we found really, really helpful whenever we were thinking about the kind of parents we wanted to be, a bit about my breastfeeding approach and also getting our baby to sleep through the night, my birth story, which I've been hesitant to share because it wasn't one of those beautiful, picturesque, everything is easy type of birth story, but I wanted to be honest with it. One of my core values is vulnerability and transparency. So I just wanted to share what it was like for me. And again, everybody's birth story is different. Uh, We we wanted to share what a day in the life looks like, what our weekday schedule looks like. And that's something I often wonder whenever I see new moms, like how is everybody balancing everything? What does their schedule actually look like? So Matt and I went into detail as to what our schedule looks like, how we're managing training, work, our baby and our relationship. We talked about loss of flexibility with our time management, and both of us have pretty much set up our entire lives so that we could have the most flexible schedule possible. Whenever you have a baby, your flexibility goes away in some regards. So we talked about that. We talked about changing priorities, how I plan my day. We talked about happiness versus contentment in the context of working and planning your schedule. And we talked about focusing on the joy instead of on the challenges, because a lot of times in society, we focus on all the hard things or all the things that we don't have instead of the things that we do have. And I think it's really important to talk about as new parents, how awesome it's been. And yes, there are challenges, but it's completely worth it. All the books and things that we referenced in this podcast episode are in the show notes under resources and the show notes are at sonyalooney.com slash podcasts. So you can check those out as well. So let's get into it. Here is today's episode. All right. So we are sitting in our house as far away from the baby as we can get so we don't wake him up. And we have myself, Matt. Hello. And Baxter. (laughs) That's Baxter saying hello. So I wanted to sit down with both Matt and I because... We haven't really had a chance to talk about all the things that we've been thinking and doing in detail about having a baby. And you guys have heard from me because I've been interviewed on some other podcasts and I've done some of my own, but I thought it'd be really fun to bring Matt in and talk about time management, our day-to-day, and just some resources that we've found helpful and also how we've been working as a team. And I know that 
whenever I look at other new families and new parents, I wonder exactly what their day-to-day looks like. So I thought that I would let you know what we're doing. Sounds fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So a book that we read, it was recommended by a friend while we were pregnant or maybe even before we even got pregnant. And it was a book called The Baby Whisperer by a nurse named Tracy Hogg. And that book has been absolutely incredible. What do you think? Yeah, I I think there's some photos of me just sitting on the couch, you know, with a scrunched brow, flipping through page after page. And I think that started off, yeah, probably eight, nine months before Bradley showed up. And especially in the first probably two months, referenced that book a ton. But it really did give us a good sense of what we thought about or what how to approach thinking about raising a child because there's all kinds of different philosophies about how you can raise a child and what you should do and we're not trying to say that this is the way to do it and I know lots of people are going to have different ways that work for them but I think the philosophy that this book really touted is what we did and we read a lot of other books too but we kept on coming back to this one yeah and people say to me Sonia you're the researcher type and That's true. Like my background is I'm a nerd. I have my master's degree in electrical engineering and I love research and I love science. And the type of parenting that this book is about is more you kind of it's not you set the schedule, but you set a framework and the framework allows the baby to have space within that framework. So that's been super helpful for us because there's a lot of different things out there. There's like baby led parenting where I guess it's called attachment parenting, maybe, where you just let the baby eat whenever he wants to eat, sleep on you, sleep in bed. And if I'm if I'm misspeaking, I'm sorry, guys, if I'm not an expert in that. I'm not an expert in any of this, actually, but I haven't done a ton of research on that stuff. Yeah, I mean, really, really basically, from our understanding, there's basically kind of three different approaches. On one, one end of the spectrum, you have the let the baby dictate the pace of life, whether it's food, sleep, what goes on in the household, and that has the best outcome. On the other spectrum is you have a rigid schedule that will not be changed, and that will have the best outcome because everyone will know what will be happening and when. And this book really is in the middle. It allows for input from the baby and what the baby needs, but also creates a schedule that you can adopt in, in your life and have some regularity for you as well. So we really liked that it was a bit of a middle ground. Yeah, and again, it's called The Baby Whisperer by Tracy Hogg. And the main framework for us that we're using is called EASY, and it's eat, activity, sleep, your time. And that's the order that everything goes in. And there's a bunch of information on how each step goes, but that's the cycle that we do every day. And our baby Bradley, he's three and a half months old, but pretty much since he was a newborn, he's been doing this cycle where he eats in between feeding. It's usually around two and a half hours and sometimes up to three hours. And we introduced a bottle of express milk at the two-week mark. And we actually read that in that book as well, when to introduce a bottle. There's a bunch of different things on how important it is if you want your baby to learn how to fall asleep on his own to put the baby down while he's still awake and a bunch of tips on that. But there was some things that were a little bit confusing or just it seemed like there were some some things that just needed to be knit together properly. And we were missing a few things because we were having trouble getting him to nap. And really early on when he was a newborn, he was overtired a lot of the time. And He just wouldn't seem to nap. And we heard of this other course called Taking Care of Babies, and it's Taking, C-A-R-A, Taking Care of Babies. The the woman's name is Kara. So that's the play on words there. 
Yeah. And I mean, she her business is, is famous. I'm sure tons of you have heard of this course, but it's they, she has a newborn course, which is like videos. And then she has a three to four month ebook. And then she has a five to 24 month course. And we watched this course and she actually referenced the two books that we read and loved whenever we were preparing for a baby. The other book was called Bringing Up Baby and it's B B-E-B-E, Bringing Up Baby by Pamela Druckerman. And that's about how this woman named, well, her name is Pamela. (laughs) She's American and she went to Paris and she noticed that how Parisians and French people bring up their kids is really different than how Americans bring up their kids. And so she set out to figure out what the differences were. And she interviewed all kinds of people from pediatricians to psychologists. And it really fell in line with the Baby Whisperer book. And we thought, this is really how we want to do it. And then the Taking Care of Babies course, she referenced both of those books and basically tied it all together for us. Yeah. Again, we're both kind of super geeky researchers and we love this stuff, but it really did help before the baby came for us to understand the general philosophy of how we want to do things so that it wasn't like, oh, I just want the little guy to fall asleep on my chest. And Sonia says, well, no, we're not doing that. And us not being on the same page as to why or why not. Again, it's, it's probably more important that you're both on the same page rather than pick this one or the other one. But uh, And then, of course, once the baby shows up, then you're the, all the research kind of gets thrown almost out, and then you have to re- react in, in real time. But I'd say the biggest change for us that, that we missed was how long the baby should be awake until you offer a nap. Again, according to this philosophy, it's as a newborn, every hour— you would offer them, hour to hour and a half max, you would offer them a nap, whether they took it or not, it's up to them. So the little guy for us was always in such a good mood and so happy. He never appeared to be that happy until he got really cranky. And then he was so cranky that he wouldn't go to sleep because we'd been letting him stay up an hour and a half, two hours as a newborn, and, and he just wouldn't fall asleep. So as soon as we put that into play, at an hour, we gave him the opportunity to nap as a newborn. It was click. He would just, he'd go from being happy. We put him down and he go put himself to sleep. It was great. And now he's been getting older, we've been stretching out the time, and there's all kinds of little tips along the way. But that was the one piece that, that we really missed from all our excessive research was just that how, how long should they be awake until you offer them a nap? Because they don't always give you really obvious signs that they need to have a nap. Yeah, and an overtired baby, we've learned, they also don't nap very well. So it's hard for them to fall asleep if they can fall asleep at all. And then they also don't nap very well. And another thing that we learned from the course was that you do everything that you can to get the baby to, you put the baby down while he's relaxed, he or she is relaxed and awake, and hopefully they can fall asleep on their own, but it doesn't always work. So if you try for 15, 20, sometimes we try for 30 minutes, if that's not working, then you can do whatever you need to do in order to get the baby to sleep because it's important developmentally for the baby to sleep. And again, we're not experts. We might sound like know-it-alls, but this is just the stuff that we read And I'm sure that there's other ways of doing it, other ways that work better for other people. But I just wanted to let you guys know what's been working for us. And it's been working really, really well. Another thing that's great in that book, The Baby Whisperer, is that she talks about different personalities of babies. And it helps you to sort of see which category your baby fits into. And some people really hate categories. In fact, Matt hates categories. (laughs) But that's been helpful for us as well to identify because then you can help make choices around the framework for your baby that will help them fit into the easy eat, activity, sleep, your time framework. Yeah, I think for us, we, to be perfectly honest, got lucky in terms of we've got a, a, according to her book, an angel baby, meaning he's pretty much bomb proof. Like he doesn't get upset. He doesn't get thrown off. He's pretty predictable. He's clear with his communication when he needs. So we've been, and he's a happy little guy almost all the time. So it's been really, 
we got incredibly lucky. Really and, lucky. <laughs> and that's purely just, I'm sure, uh, luck of the draw. But the cool thing about the book is they go from that end of things, and we've been so lucky there, to the other end of things with a baby that might be grumpy or touchy or a bit more sensitive, and then how to adapt your your life to that and how to you know make the best outcome for the kids so that you're happy and the kid's happy and not just being frustrated that you know the, the baby's not behaving like the next door neighbor's baby or even your other baby because I have friends and family members that are, their kids are so completely opposite that what worked for one kid did not work at all for the other kid. Yeah. Yeah. We've been really, really fortunate. And I want to talk again about sleep because sleep is the biggest thing that people tend to worry about. And with our little guy, so um, I, I can't remember if this came from the course or from the book because they kind of go hand in hand. I, I highly recommend that Taking Care of Babies course because it, it brings the book to life and really fills in lots of different details that are missing. But I think you actually need both because that course only talks about sleep. It doesn't really talk about anything else. So with sleep, whenever the baby is really young, they recommend that you wake the baby up every two, two and a half hours in the middle of the night, round the clock to feed them. And and we did adhere to that because we wanted him to maintain his weight gain. And in the book, it says up until about 10 pounds or once the baby reaches 10 pounds, then you don't have to wake them up anymore in the middle of the night to try and get them to eat. So I remember that the first time we ended up leaving him, he went for like five hours on his own without waking up. And then the course tells you how to stretch them out so that they can eventually sleep through the night. And that's by there's there's different methods to helping them get back to sleep without needing to eat. And of course, if the baby's melting down, you feed them. But we were able to pretty much stick to the, what the course said. And you stretch them out by 10 to 15 minutes every single night until they're sleeping through the night. And our little guy was sleeping through the night. When when was it? It was probably around that eight-week mark, I would say. eight, uh, Maybe between eight and 12 weeks because he would be in bed without being fed probably around that 10-week frame. We'd stretch him out to a point where he would be eight, eight hours, I would say, around that eight, nine weeks. But he wasn't actually, he'd be waking up, needing to be soothed, needing to be put to bed. It probably took him, I would say, 12 weeks until you could say, yeah, you know what, actually, he made a couple little peeps at night, but didn't need our help to put himself back to bed. So in all honesty, I'd say truthfully, probably more like 12 weeks, I would say. Yeah. And most nights he, now he's three and a half months, like we'll still wake up once or twice because we'll hear noises from him, but we don't need to do anything. He's on his own. And our sleeping situation is we have him in one of those sidecar co-sleeper bassinets that crib things that go next to your bed. We have the, I think it's arm's reach, easy or ideal sleeper or something like that. But we have it next to our bed and he's not in our bed. And then at night he nap or during the day, he naps in his own room in his crib. And he used to nap in the bassinet. But once he got a little bit bigger, we started having him nap in his own crib. And we were swaddling him as well until he started rolling over. And he's currently rolling from back to tummy. And now because he does that, we don't actually put him in a swaddle anymore. So I've basically beat the sleep thing to death. But I'm sure that that's something everybody's been really curious about. And we've been incredibly lucky we really haven't had like crazy sleep deprivation. I, I think during the waking up every two and a half hour phase and when he was a newborn, I was still getting six hours a night because I would just go to bed when he went to bed and I would stay in bed for like 10 to 12 hours while he would stay in bed. And I wasn't sleeping that whole time. But over the course of time, I would get six hours of sleep. Yeah. And I think trying to figure out as a partner who's not the, the food source for Kasanya's breastfeeding, for me, how could I support Sonia to get sleep? And as time, so our, our time management and sleep management 
has evolved to we trade nights sleeping next to the little guy because every now and then he has a bad night where it's hardly like, yeah, he sleeps through the night. We never hear from him again. It's the other night he was up all night long for some random reason. It could have been Grossberg, could have been all kinds of things. And it was one of those nights where there's very little sleep. The next night he was fine. So we choose, we alternate one night. Sonia sleeps on right next to him. The next night I do. That way Sonia gets a full night's rest, even if she's had some hard nights. But initially, when he's in the newborn phase needing to eat all the time, I couldn't do that. So it was really, you know, Sonia was the one up most of the time, and I got a, I got a better sleep than she did. But it's now kind of evened itself out a little bit. Yeah, one thing that I think every mother worries if, if you're exclusively breastfeeding, and maybe even if you're supplementing with formula, you worry that you don't have enough milk, and you're always worried about your milk supply. And that was something that I was very worried about whenever I said, okay, well, he's going to start going through the night without eating. And I thought, well, what if my supply goes down? Or, And I was like super paranoid that my supply was going down because I started, um, the recommendation is you feed them. Well, well, my little guy is a single side feeder and some people might be feeding off of both sides, but he's a single side feeder. So he'll get his last feed before bed is at after his bath at 7.30. And then between 9.30 and 10, he gets the dream feed, which means he's usually asleep. And he takes he actually takes a full feed at that time while he's asleep. But because of that, I have to pump the other side. So I want to go to bed with empty breasts. And that allows room for them to fill up overnight. And I have woken up in the middle of the night and had to let some pressure off before. But your body adapts. And usually it can go eight to nine hours. And and they're definitely hard and full whenever I wake up. But there's no engorgement. There's no mastitis. There's no problems. So he'll wake up at, well, it depends. It's between 6.30 and 7.30 now. And he'll eat on one side. And then I'll pump out the other side. And at night, I'm sure a lot of you guys already know this, but like your milk supply changes throughout the day and throughout the night. It's not the same volume all the time. So if I were to go on a bike ride, for example, and I'm going to miss a feed on a bike ride and Matt's going to be feeding him the bottle on my bike ride, I'll pump before the bike ride or when I get home from the bike ride, depending on when that feed would go. And I would pump. And I think that I might have a lot of milk, but I could pump like six to eight ounces of milk out of one side at that time. And then whenever I started pumping at night, I noticed that I get like three ounces or two ounces at 10 o'clock at night. And that would freak me out. And I thought my supply was going down. But it actually wasn't going down because babies don't eat as much at 10 o'clock at night as they do in the middle of the day or in the morning. So your supply actually changes throughout the day. And I would spent so much time reading on Google and doing all this research, like studying about milk supply. And I bought all these books on breastfeeding and I just wanted to make sure that I had all the information and I had too much information. So I'd say the takeaway is to try not to stress out as long as you're eating a healthy diet. For me, again, I'm exclusively plant-based, but a lot of the foods that you eat or that I eat are foods that help increase your milk supply. Things like oats and beans and seeds and nuts. Fennel. Fennel. Yeah. A lot of these (laughs) things are just regular parts of, of my diet, but I still was really worried about my supply and that's a really normal thing. Yeah, and the the interesting thing is just, again, watching from afar, obviously, is how in sync the baby is to the mother. Like, as the baby's needs change, and they do change week to week and month to month, the mother changes right along with it. And there may be a day or two lag, but that's really about it. It's really kind of neat to see how lockstep it really is. It's pretty cool to watch. Yeah, and it's kind of like pregnancy. Like, you just have to trust that your body knows what to do. And there are cases, probably lots of cases, where... People have had real problems with milk supply where their body wasn't doing what it was supposed to do, and that's okay too. 
of course, you want to get some assistance and there's lactation consultants and pediatricians and people that can help with that. So I certainly don't want to take away from anybody who didn't have an easy experience with breastfeeding. And to be fair, I've only been doing it for three and a half months. I'm hardly somebody that is well-seasoned in it. Yeah, it's been really helpful. Again, we're living in Canada and the access to healthcare has been great and all kinds of resources. And we've absolutely maximized all of them. So from we did all the reading we could. We've also had lactation consultants and midwives and our doctor, family doctor, and all kinds of support, as well as, of course, family and friends and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we're relying on our community and relying on our professionals and and trying to make the best decisions with all the information we can get. And I think we're going to record an entire other podcast about this, but we had our baby right smack at the start of when all the COVID-19 craziness started happening in North America. So basically, a few days after Bradley was born, all the rules around what was allowed, like who was allowed in the delivery room, what um, prenatal care looked like, like all those things changed just a few days after he was born. And I used a doula. And honestly, going into my birth, I thought, oh, I'll just hire a doula because all the statistics say that births tend to go better when you have one. But I honestly didn't think I needed one. And even on the way to the midwife birthing suite, I thought to myself, I don't know even know if we should call a doula. I don't even know if I actually need her. And man, I did need her. <laughs> yeah. And just to back things up a little bit, in Canada, the midwife system is part of the regular medical system. So you can have your midwife deliver your baby in the hospital setting, or you can do it at the midwife birth center. And there's no, I know not every country is the same, but the, there's a really great integration of the midwives with the regular healthcare system. They're part of the the same uh, same regulation. So we had chosen to, we looked at all the stats and we found that births at the midwife center went really well. And so that's where we were going to start the birth. And then the doula was all, all part of that to come in as well. Yeah. I mean, I seriously can't imagine doing it without her, even thinking on the way to the birthing suite that I didn't actually need her. So yeah, and her name is Angie and she was absolutely amazing. In fact, I pretty much, I mean, there's lots of things that I don't remember anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And that it wasn't, I won't even call it type two fun. I'll just call it something else altogether. But I definitely remember her presence there like really, really strongly. Yeah. And for me as the supporting partner, it was great to have somebody that, you know, when you have your partner or spouse who's going through obviously something pretty physically intense and they want to know, is this normal? <laughs> like, and <laughs> like, uh, you know, I'm supportive and oh yes, this is great. And you're doing fine. And in your mind, you're thinking, oh Jesus, is this normal? Is this okay? But having a doula there who's, and a midwife, of course, but the doula just to be that extra person say, hey, you know what you're doing? You really are doing great. And this is normal. And, and this is what you can expect. And and as a supporting partner, here's what you can do to help. And the next time something comes along here, try this. So it was great for both of us, obviously, mostly for Sonia, but also for me. I didn't feel displaced. I didn't feel like I didn't have a role. I just felt like I had extra help. And actually, I wasn't intending to talk about the birth today, but we're kind of heading in that direction. And I haven't actually talked about it very much, mostly because I don't know, you know, a lot of people don't want to scare other people who are going to have a baby or taint the situation of any kind. But I'll just share really quickly what mine was like, and I'll try not to be too graphic (laughs) with the information. But Bradley, that's our baby's name, he was eight days late. So the experience was like, I really wanted to have my baby at the birthing suite. And uh, spoiler alert, I didn't have him at the birthing suite. I had him at the hospital, but I started at the birthing suite. And my water broke 
it wasn't like the dramatic water break that you see on TV. It's more like I woke up in the morning and there's like some water there. And I, I thought, I don't know, like, it, what, I don't know if this is actually it because it wasn't very much. And it just sort of would come in trickles throughout the day. And I went to the midwife does all their medical testing at the hospital for things like this. So I went there and they tested the amniotic fluid to make sure that that's in fact what it was. And they also test it to make sure that it's healthy and there's nothing in there that shouldn't be in there. And usually what happens is labor contractions, all that stuff will get started on its own at some point. And if not, then they have to induce you. And I really didn't want to be induced with oxytocin at the hospital because that guarantees that you have to start at the hospital. So we kind of waited all day. We're walking around all day. We're like, oh my gosh, like this baby is going to be coming, but we don't know. We still don't know exactly when. We, we still don't know how it's going to go. So the midwife gave me the option of taking castor oil and it's like a midwife cocktail. You can Google it. There's other stuff in it. Tastes disgusting, but I drank the castor oil cocktail and it could cause like diarrhea and vomiting and things like that. And that didn't happen for me. And it was pretty rapidly. I think it might've taken an hour. But everything hit all of a sudden, all at once. It was not, There's nothing gradual about it. <laughs> when you're having the Braxton Hicks contractions, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I think this is what it... Or like, am I in labor? And it's like, no, you know. Like, when you're in labor, there is no doubt about it. And the thing that I wasn't expecting, we did a hypnobirthing course. And in the hypnobirthing course, they had, you know, all these different instructions. And we, we went to eight weeks or 10 weeks of courses. It was like, three hours every week. And maybe, again, hypnobirthing is a really funny name, but it's really meditative breathing practices and mindfulness around birthing. There is there is no what you would think of like hypnosis in it. So it's kind of a funny name to have it be called hypnobirthing, but it's really a lot of things come from meditation and yoga and all kinds of interesting stuff. So it was a pretty cool course. Yeah, and it, it did take the fear away from me. So I'm glad that I took it, but I wasn't able to use it in my birth. There was no rest in between contractions. It was like doing the hardest... I can't even compare it to an interval workout, but it's like if you're doing an interval workout and you have like 30 seconds in between the hardest intervals you've ever done. And that went on for like eight hours straight. So I wasn't actually able to practice the time in between contractions where you can practice relaxing your whole body and getting into your state. Like it just wasn't going to happen for me. So that started at home. We went to the birthing suite. It was actually really cold in the birthing suite. I remember that. And it got really intense really quickly to the point where. Yeah, like I was screaming and it was some of the most intense pain that I've ever felt in my entire life. And I was vomiting. Like it was crazy. <laughs> it was not what you see on the hypnobirthing videos. <laughs> that is true. Although, again, I think the biggest advantage of that course was really just truly putting birth in perspective of what it can be like and taking away fear, because I think a lot of it is like you see the person in the car in driving to the hospital at mock and people screaming and and while that might be true in some cases, it's not always true. But coming into it without that fear, I think, was helpful, even though the experience was uh, quite intense, to say the least. Yeah, and I'll, I won't spend a l much more time talking about it. But basically, it got really intense. And I said, I like, she checked. And even whenever we got to the midwife center, I still wasn't dilated. And the entire week leading up to me being late, like the eight days late, my cervix still wasn't ripe. So all these signs were just showing that like birth wasn't going to happen very quickly. So once it, I think it had been maybe four hours and she checked the dilation and it's not a linear process, like a time versus dilation. It's not linear, but she checked and it was only like four centimeters. And the level of pain that I was experiencing was far, far more than I ever, ever imagined or anticipated. 
And I thought to myself, well, if it's going to get worse and there's going to be transitional labor, which is even worse, like I literally don't know how I'm going to do it. So I wanted to go to the hospital because I knew that there were other things like I really did not want to get an epidural because of all the things that I have read about birth, like recovery, basically. I wanted to be able to recover as quickly as possible post-birth. But you can do like nitrous oxide. You can do an IV with fentanyl. And I hate needles. The last thing I wanted was an IV. And at that point, I was in so much pain. I didn't care. I just wanted to go. So the hardest part was imagining how am I going to even walk? Like, how am I even going to get into the car? Because the contractions were coming every 30 seconds and they were absolutely debilitating. And I was afraid I'd be like screaming in the wheelchair in the hospital. And guess what? I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The interesting thing is the the amount of births that that don't finish the start in the midwife center and don't finish there because the midwife center cannot give you drugs. The, the midwife can give you drugs, but only while they're at the hospital. So for the vast majority of times, the reason why people start in the birthing center and go to the hospital is because of the need for pain medication or the desire for pain medication. So they have a whole protocol around how you can get there. But just so you guys know how close we are, we're probably somewhere between a four to a six minute drive from the birthing center to the hospital. So we're literally... And Sonia obviously knows this. We we live about four minutes from the midwife center. Like we're all, we're in a little triangle. We're really, really close to the hospital where we live. And she was still thinking, oh my God, I've got to walk all the way to the car, which is like six steps outside the, the birthing center and drive all the way to the hospital, which is like a four minute drive. And that seemed probably like longer than any bike race she'd ever done in her life. <laughs> yeah, it seemed harder than any anything So we got there and then the room wasn't set up for nitrous oxide. So I couldn't do that. So they're like, okay, well, we can give you a hit of fentanyl. So they put an IV in and I was absolutely terrified about the IV, but they put the IV in. They did. And and meanwhile, everything's getting even more intense. They do a hit of fentanyl. It doesn't seem to do anything. And it was so, so crazy. I was like, the pain got so crazy. (laughs) And this is what you read in the book. Once you start screaming for the epidural, that means you're in transitional labor. And guess what? I was. So I went from like five to 10 centimeters in less than an hour, which is crazy. Um, And then it was time to push. And then an hour later, the baby came out. So it was like less than eight hours from start to finish, from being zero dilated to having a baby in my arms, which a lot of people, including myself, was like, oh, yeah, I want a fast labor. But I actually would prefer, in hindsight, a slower labor with more breaks in between because it was just like I was actually like psychologically scarred from the pain and the difficulty of the labor. And it took me a really long time to even be able to talk about it without just shaking my head back and forth. <laughs> now, what's your, pers- I mean, this is again, maybe getting to details, but having gone through that, what is your perspective now on epidurals? What was it before? What is it now? And has it changed? I don't know. You know, I said, I'd say probably two months following birth. If I ever do this again, I'm definitely getting an epidural. But every birth is different. And I know that. And I've had friends that have had two babies. And I actually have a friend. Her first birth was exactly like mine, and her second birth was a lot. It still was intense, and it actually was even shorter, but it was a much easier experience for her. So, the idea of experiencing that level of pain again, like I, I, I'm, I'm like almost speechless even thinking about it. But I also am an optimist, and I think that, and like other people have given birth, and it hasn't been that big of a deal. Like it, they haven't like had this crazy experience. And some people it's been even harder than like way harder than my experience. So it's just every birth is different. So I actually, if I were to do it again, I don't think I would start with an epidural. Yeah. It's amazing as you you hear people's different stories as you go through this. And there's literally stories of, oh yeah, I guess, you know, I, I guess I went into labor and my water broke and I walked to the hospital. I was a few blocks away and, you know, 
it was like two and a half hours later and I had my first kid. It was just like, it was hard, but you know, I go to the gym and that's been harder to a 52 hour labor that didn't go well and had to have a C-section and not plan for. And you just have this like crazy spectrum. So it's, everything is so, who knows what it's going to be and it's going to be unique to everyone and to every, like you said, even every birth is different for the same person. So just knowing all that information, I think is is somewhat helpful, but also maybe even somewhat stressful because you, you just don't know what you're going to get until you get there. Yeah. And um, I was really like wondering, like, what does it feel like? What does a contraction feel like? Like, does it feel like a hard workout? Like, and people have asked me, how does it compare to a hard race or a hard workout? And I just wouldn't even put those in the same category. Like I read this, it was in a book somewhere. Someone referenced the feeling of contractions as Satan's pitchfork twisting inside of you. Yeah. And I, I actually think that that's pretty accurate and you just can't compare that to the the pain of exercise. Like it just, they're just completely not related in any way. It's like if you get stabbed, that pain is really different than the pain of like your legs burning. Fair enough. Yeah. And coming from the male side of the equation, I will never get to know what that difference is. And I'm happy. I'm happy to be supportive. <laughs> you don't have to do it. Yeah. So, and I mean, we got a healthy baby at the end of it and like, I might be sounding overly dramatic, but we got incredibly lucky. Like, you know, I had a little bit of tearing, nothing serious. I was back on my bike a week later. Um, there's still some internal things that are healing that are not hundred percent yet at three and a half months, mainly, uh, just some pelvic floor muscles that are just still way too tight that are causing issues. But yeah, like I got super lucky. I was very happy in the end that I had the baby in the hospital because I needed some IV drugs of oxytocin because I had a lot of excess bleeding because the birth was so intense. It caused a lot of like extra bleeding that normally wouldn't happen. And then having the hospital support the next day with all the nurses and the breastfeeding support and just how exhausted I was, I was actually really, really happy because when you do it at the birthing suite, you just go home afterwards, like immediately afterwards. And in the end, I was really happy. If I were to do it again, I would actually plan again to do it in the midwife suite and then probably plan to move to the hospital later on. That way I could have that kind of support whenever the baby came. <laughs> yeah, it was great. And then after the birth, we had the midwife comes to your home. So we were at the hospital for a couple of days and or I guess an overnight, basically. And then we had the midwife then comes to your home, I think, like every two or three days for, for two weeks or something like that or every three days or something like that. And then we had a doula visit as well. So we had lots of support. Now, keep in mind, this is right in the middle of COVID. So now we're like March 20th. So lockdown here happened like March 16th. So just seeing the midwife was a challenge just because normally initially they come to your house and we couldn't do that. We had to go to their, the clinic and then we had to like wait in the car and just have a, like a phone consultation. And so we couldn't have family members come because of COVID and social distancing and ex you know, exposure for this newborn. So it was kind of a crazy time. We really were self-isolated. We went into the hospital and basically locked down and self-isolated with a total newborn and had to figure out, of course, I mean, we had lots of verbal support and, and kind of those kinds of things, but it was strange not to have anyone and no family there. Um, and that's a double-edged sword to be honest. I mean, you want to have the support of your family, but then you also have to manage your family and manage their, are they doing okay? And how can we support them? And everyone wants to see the newborn. And so we got to dodge some of the hard things that can come with having a big extended family and everyone wanting to see them. But we also missed all the support that comes along with that. So a very, uh, very unusual time for sure. Yeah. And that kind of brings us to today. And the next thing I wanted to talk about. So, so far we've talked about 
books and things that have been helpful in getting our baby onto a rhythm and framework that has been really helpful and and good for us. We talked about the birth. Um, and now I want to talk about sort of time management. And our initial plan was to getting a nanny. Like we thought about daycare, but as a racer, I don't want to be getting sick all the time. And it seems like people that take their kids to daycare, the kids get sick more often. And that may or may not be better for the immune system. I don't know. I do know that, and you can argue with me if you want, and that's fine, but eating a plant-based diet, it's proven to help your kid be healthier. It's proven that you your kid won't be on antibiotics as much. Even like eating plant-based while breastfeeding, the kid's going to have a much stronger gut flora moving forward. I recommend the book Disease Proof Your Child by Dr. Joel Furman if you guys want to learn more about that. Anyways, so we thought, okay, well, we'll get a nanny, like maybe a part-time nanny that could come over. That way I can still maintain my training schedule and I can still work because I have Moxie and Grit, which is an apparel brand that I own and manage. I have the podcast, which is a weekly show with a team of two people. I have all of my sponsorships, which I don't have a team manager. I am the team manager. So I manage all of those and all the content that goes with it. I train as a, you can put quotes around full-time professional athlete because it feels like I'm not really training full-time anymore, although I'm still seeing really positive benefits. I write, like I just, I have all these different business projects and then there's all these little things that come up like video projects or speaking or, you know, all these things. So trying to manage all those things and having a nanny and having daycare went poof whenever COVID happened. And thankfully, Matt ha- Matt is a, well, you can talk about your job, but you're a CEO and a financial planner of a very large and successful financial planning firm in Kelowna. And he supports me so that I can still train during the week. And then I have to try to plug in meeting times and podcasts and work when Bradley's napping. So it's been really, really challenging and really fast paced. But I wanted to talk about how we're supporting one another from a time management perspective, because it's different for everybody. And with COVID, everybody's going through this. And a lot of people have it way harder than we did. They had to like homeschool their kids and be both working from home at the same time. So in no means has our situation been special or, you know, oh, woe was me. But I just wanted to talk about how we've been doing it and what our daily schedule looks like. Yeah, so it's it has been interesting. So March 15th, Bradley's born. I think that's the Sunday. Monday is stock market crashing. So being a financial planner, <laughs> you've got this little newborn and you're like, oh, God, I've got... Like a one-day-old newborn. Yeah. So we're driving home and I'm literally checking into the office and trying to make decisions. So we have a relatively big firm or quite a large firm. So we have eight staff members, six financial planners. We have multiple locations in two different cities and we've got to make the call. You know, this is just the start. Do we move our office? Do we, you know, send everybody home? Do we make sure they can, our business can function from home? So I make all those calls along with my executive team, my COO, and we roll that out. So we get all the staff where they need to go. We make sure our producers can and advisors can be working from home full time. We make sure both locations are up and running properly and that we're running safe protocols and blah, 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 blah. So that's those two days. Plus, now I have clients calling saying, oh, my God, the sky is falling. What do I do? Uh, you know, on and on and on. And looking back, I'm like, how did how did that actually work? Because we we had a newborn and we're like literally like probably most new parents, you're like, is he, are we going to kill him? Is he alive? Like, what do we do? Like, <laughs> we've done all this reading. We've done all these things, but we're just so, you know, you just, every time he coughs or sneezes or he, is he still breathing? I mean, 
all those things. Is he going to choke on his own puke? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but I think, honestly, when I think of those first couple of weeks, I think because he was so little and he slept so much, it gave me those 30 minutes here and there where he's asleep, Sonia's watching him, and I can go and manage that. But truthfully, those first couple of weeks was really heavily Sonia dependent rather than Matt dependent. So she took a lot of the the care load and all those things. And I would I cooked a lot. I made a lot of food at home. Uh, we'd pre-cooked a bunch and, and frozen a bunch of things, but I would make lots of, you know, lots of meals trying to plan for the week. I would do lots of the laundry around the house, all those things, because if I had an hour, I could do that, where I couldn't obviously breastfeed or get involved as much with the care for the baby. So the first couple of weeks was really me scrambling from, you know, supporting the household and supporting Sonia and little Bradley to trying to stay connected to work. And that would start in the morning at, you know, six, seven in the morning and go until seven, eight at night. And you would just sort of do whatever came up at that time. It was a bit of a scramble. So that was sort of the first couple of weeks. And really it's, and that's the time, of course, when you're sleeping the least too, right? So Sonia's, I'm sleeping more than Sonia, absolutely. But Sonia's sleeping, you know, little one to two hour chunks at a time. And I'm sleeping probably four to eight hours at a time. Yeah, Matt was absolutely awesome and having that kind of support. Cooking, I've mentioned we're plant-based and that is a little bit more labor intensive when it comes to meal preparation. And it doesn't have to be, but the way that we like to cook, it tends to lend itself that way. So before we even had a baby, we would trade off. Like I certainly was doing more, way more of the cooking, but Matt still cooked. So cooking wasn't this like foreign, crazy thing that Matt all of a sudden had to do. He was really, really confident and comfortable in the kitchen. And he did such an amazing job. Like, uh, yeah, today after we were giving Bradley a bath, I was saying how, oh, I I just love how he stares at me and he knows who I am. And and Matt said, yeah, that's because he he knows that you're the one keeping him alive. And then I said to Matt, and you're the one keeping me alive. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not quite as directly, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a team effort. And it's trying to just find your rhythm as a partner. And everyone's got different skills and every couple's got different things they want to do. And some couples have very defined roles or even control issues where they don't want to give up certain responsibilities, and that's totally fine. The one thing I would say is just try and communicate those up front as much as you can, but you don't really know what it's going to look like till it comes. Like we had, you know, plans, I suppose, of what we might do, but when it actually happened, it was a bit, it was a bit different, actually. Yeah. And something else that I think has been really helpful just from a, a relationship standpoint, because having a baby can be really difficult on a relationship. And Matt and I have always had an incredibly strong relationship and we both feel very, very fortunate. And we're both really good communicators in our relationship. So we regularly check in with one another and ask, like, how are you doing? How am I doing? Is there anything else I can be doing to support you? Because you're a team. And for me, it's been interesting because I feel guilty when I ask for help. I feel guilty if I say, hey, like, could you put him to bed? Or hey, do you mind changing his diaper? And just getting comfortable with that feeling and saying it's okay to feel that way. But yeah, I think that just making sure that you're talking about how things are going. And I've also asked Matt, like, do you resent me for anything right now? Because resentment is poison. And if you don't talk about that stuff, in my experience in the the relationships I've had, that has been the main thing that kills a relationship. So I, we always try to talk about things up front and not let it fester because, man, that, that can be really toxic to a relationship. Absolutely. That is, I mean, obviously, even without a child, that's important, but it becomes even more more important the more the more inputs you add into your life for sure as we got through those first few weeks we've sort of now at at 3 months had a bit of a different stride it's less of a scramble there's more structure in our days 
but now I'm spending a lot more time at work or splitting my time. I still work virtually from home and from the office, depending on the type of meetings I'm having. We do fully have operational capacity to be at home. I find it easier to be work for me, structurally easy to be at, at the office because I can stay focused. I'm still doing everything digitally. I'm not meeting with clients individually, but it's I just have my own office there. Everything's all set up. In the house here, Sonia has her office, but our house isn't big enough for multiple offices. So she has her office and always has had one, and mine ends up being the kitchen. So again, I, as time has gone by, it's become harder for me to be really productive at home. So now I'm spending, I get up in the morning and try and ride my bike. I might do outside or on the trainer, depending on the what, day. What time are you getting up? Uh, usually between around six o'clock, six to six thirty. You know, when I was really on it, it would be five forty-five. There's days where you don't. It's and it's amazing how important getting to sleep at the right time is. If you don't get to sleep at the right time, it's hard to get up at the right time. And the next thing you know, six turns into seven, and your bike ride ends up being thirty minutes instead of an hour, hour and a or half, or not at all. And sometimes you just have to respect that, that you're just too tired. Like you, you had a long day, you had a lot of inputs, whether it's family or work or whatever, and you just needed the sleep and you might just turf that the, the workout that day. Uh, but yeah, get up in the morning, six, uh, six o'clock on the bike is 6.30. I mean, it could be even quicker than that, but six to 6.30 on the bike, ride for an hour, hour and a half. On the trainer, it's been because of COVID and being in the spring, being cool, uh, the trainer's been really easy, but now we're into the summer here and it's now more outside riding. And it gets hot in the garage. I rode in there today and it was like 80 degrees in the garage. Yeah. <laughs> So I had to work around 9, 9.30. I stay at work until around noon and I'm trying to be home. At, I, I live like seven minutes from the office, which is great. I'm home at noon for Sonia. Sonia then has two hours to work, ride or whatever she needs to do from with my help. Then I go back to the office at two and then try and come home around 5.30 or six. So again, I'm incredibly lucky because I get to set my own schedule and, and purposefully, that's one of the reasons I started the career I did and Sonia's done exactly the same thing right from day one is we want to control over our schedules. As you become busier, you find that that control just means that you can work 10 to 12 or 14 hours a day. And then you add in new baby and all of a sudden that doesn't happen anymore. So it's trying to roll back your schedule because we're used to both having times where we're happily working 10 to 12 hours or more a day because we have big projects on the go or things happening and we're really you know pushing hard and enjoying that. And now we don't have that extra, oh, we'll drop everything and make work a priority for the next three days. Uh, we, we can't do that because we got the little guy. So it's made us really think very carefully about how we spend every minute, every hour of the day. How do we be efficient about it? Because if you get behind, you can't catch up later. Or if you have a big project coming up, you can't just dedicate extra time later. So it's just today we were talking about, okay, how can we get that extra hour or extra half hour, or maybe an hour to a week? Where can we find that hour to a week and be more efficient with it? And how do we support one another to make sure that if each of us needs more time? But for me, because I've had more time to work than Sonia has, and I have less inputs, meaning I do one job or maybe two, CEO and advisor. Those are, um, big, those are two really big jobs. They are two really big jobs, I suppose. But there are two jobs where Sonia has multiple. She's a professional athlete, and that comes with the physical component. And then she's running an apparel business, a speaking business, all kinds of different inputs. And then you know, running all her sponsorships and running proposals and all those things. That, But when you have the physical component that also drains you and the mental component, it's a bit of a different challenge when you have multiple inputs because you end up picking. 
I think, rather than just saying, I'll go to work and I'll do my one thing. Yeah. I thought we were going to talk about values and priorities in this podcast, but we're actually going to save that for next month because this is already going on longer than I thought it was going to, not in a bad way. (laughs) But yeah, it, it hasn't been easy. On social media, you know, everything always looks all flashy. And I, I try to be as transparent and honest about when things are good and when things are hard. And it's about just adapting and being flexible. And Matt and I were talking in the car. We were driving somewhere the other day and we we're saying that the hardest thing for us that we've lost is flexibility. And we still have, I mean, both of us run our own businesses. So we have like 100% flexibility compared to most people where they have to go to an office or you know maybe now a virtual office from nine to five, um, but because we chose to have a baby, um, the baby has to be number one priority, and we love making the baby number one priority. But because of that, we've lost some of the flexibility. And anytime you add something in, there's always going to be something that has to balance it out on the other side. And I don't even like saying a loss; it's just a change. So we've sort of had to change up our priorities. Well, we definitely have had to change up our priorities. And it's it's been welcomed. And even the years leading up to having a baby, because we knew we wanted to have one, we kind of overdid it. In fact, we both burnt out so badly overworking and not in a bad way. Like we love our work. We want to just do more and more and more and more. And we just like kept adding in more traveling and more projects. And oh, when we have a baby, we're not going to be able to do as much. So let's load it up at the beginning. And then we won't want to do it as much. And so I actually don't recommend doing it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's just it's just been challenging in that like because we've lost some of our flexibility. But I I feel like you know you guys have listened to Crush It Mondays, all those things, all those advice things. They're also for me. They're not just for you. Those are all things that I've had to deal with of like being too stuck on achievements and trying to feel like you're enough and getting caught up in burning in the fire of your own passions because you just love so much what you're doing and trying to find balance. Like these are all things that everybody goes through. So. The hardest thing for me has been losing the flexibility with my riding. And even from day one, even before I was a professional mountain biker, I planned my entire life around being able to have the flexibility to train. And now sometimes it feels like the walls are closing in. And again, like this is not, oh, woe was me. <laughs> like I have it ama- I am so fortunate. I have it so good. But I just want to tell you guys what it's actually like for me, even though it's, you know, even though I'm spoiled. Now having 12 to 2 every single day, that might sound like a lot. And I thought that it would be plenty. But what happens is like getting ready to ride takes time, right? How many of us have spent forever trying to get on our bike doing who knows what? Now add in trying to pump a boob, add in eating, add in changing clothes, and then add in your baby on top of that. Because the baby is normally not asleep when I'm trying to do all those things. Add in getting your bike ready. Yeah, there's a lot of things. So a lot of times I don't get out on time or like when Matt shows up, I don't want to just say, here's the kid. I'm out of here. I want to like say hi. So by the time I get out on my bike, it's not exactly noon. Um, There has been the odd time where it has been. And then if I get home right at two when Matt has to go and there have been times where he has, you know, had the flexibility where he didn't have to leave right at two. But if, if I choose to show up at two, well, now I'm in my chamois. Like an example is today, even though I rode the trainer, um, I went to the last possible minute till I did extra because Bradley was sleeping. So I stayed on the trainer after Matt went back to work. But he woke up crying. Now I'm completely sweaty, running inside. He's crying. And then it's like, now I have to figure out how to eat and take a shower and take care of the baby all at once. And like, I haven't gotten like frantic over it, but sometimes it's frustrating because 
in the past, like my life has changed. I could go for a two, three, four hour bike ride. I could just leisurely eat when, you know, uh, super spoiled, but leisurely like eat a meal when I came home. And I just can't do those things anymore. So my time has become even more precious to me. And time has always been my number one asset. And that should be, in my opinion, time should be like everybody's top asset because you can't get it back. You can't buy your time back. So finding ways to manage your time so that you can be doing the things that are important to you with that time is incredibly important. I think I just used the word important twice. But anyways, it's <laughs> just important to learn how to manage your time and what your priorities are and then be able to talk it over with your partner so that you can support each other to do that. So my schedule looks like, so my number one priority, oh, well, my number one priority is my baby, but my number two priority is actually, uh, um, well, it would be Matt. And then my number three priority <laughs> is sleep. So my day is, so we go to bed, I'm usually around 10, 1030. Um, there has been the odd time we stay up till midnight because we just want to hang out. But Bradley wakes up between 6.30 and 7.30 and I wake up and I feed him and I oh, I change him, I feed him, I pump the other side and then I actually put him back to bed and I go back to bed. And sometimes I get another 30 minutes of sleep. Sometimes I get another hour of sleep. So I get a little bit extra there. And that is time where I could get up and work, but I choose to prioritize sleeping at that time. So I go back to bed and we usually get up between 8 and 9, usually around, I would say, on average, 8.30. And then from there, Bradley's up. So we hang out and then he takes a nap. And while he goes down for a nap, his naps are pretty short. He sleeps for 30 to 45 minutes at a time. Then I like rush to my office with a baby monitor and I try and schedule meetings at that time because he's pretty consistent with that first nap of the day. So um, there are times where I'm holding Bradley while I'm having a phone meeting. <laughs> There's times where I'm in the middle of something and he wakes up or he won't nap at all. Like those things happen as well. So I'm just trying to learn to be flexible and okay if my schedule doesn't go as planned. So then he wakes up. I usually am feeding him and getting ready and everything. And then I go ride. I get back at two. And then I try and squeeze in another 30 minutes or 45 minutes of work during another nap. And then usually again, I'll have another 30 or 45 minutes when Mac gets home. And then any other time I can, I'm just trying to squeeze in work. So I don't really get long blocks of work except for Mondays because from 12 to 2, that's whenever I... I'm not riding on Monday. So when Matt's here, that's whenever I schedule my podcasts or meetings where I definitely can't have an interruption from a baby. And then sometimes, oftentimes, I work on the weekend as well. So <laughs> there aren't really concentrated blocks of time for work. And that's really hard for me. So I just have to make them fit wherever I can. It's like, just just <laughs> throw everything against the wall and hope something sticks. It's That's kind of like what my life looks like right now. But I'm actually really proud. Like I've done an incredible job you know, women aren't supposed to say like, I'm proud of myself and blah, blah, blah. But uh, like a lot of times we feel uncomfortable doing that. But I'm going to say I'm really proud of what I've been able to accomplish with my baby. Like I'm still, I feel like I'm still managing all of my sponsorships really well. I'm still keeping in touch with everybody, creating content for my sponsors. I have not missed a week of the podcast and I have been recording new podcasts. I did pre-record a couple months worth of podcasts so that when I had a newborn, I wouldn't have to deal with scheduling and trying to record and stuff. But I haven't missed a podcast episode. I released new designs with Moxie and Grit. I'm still writing like articles. So like I'm able to do it. Training? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm training full time and I'm almost back to race fitness. So it might seem like, oh, she's doing it all. And like whenever I take a step back and zoom out, I am really proud of what I've accomplished. But it doesn't feel like I'm doing a very good job if I zoom in because I don't have very concentrated periods of work. And one of the I think I've done a crush at Monday about this, but 
with happiness and contentment, those are two different things. But one of the common threads that makes us feel good is having concentration, that element of concentration in our work and in our life. And whenever you don't have that feeling of concentration, of focused work, you kind of feel like you're all over the place. And that's what I feel like because I don't have, except for when I'm with my baby or when I'm riding my bike. And, and honestly, when I'm riding my bike, I'm listening to audiobooks and podcasts on, on times two the speed because I'm trying to get through them so I can learn more information. Having that concentration and that focused time is what makes us feel good. So that's why some days I don't feel good because I don't have that focused time. But that doesn't mean that you're not accomplishing something. And it's really important, I think, to take the time to zoom out and say, okay, what have I accomplished? And am I still doing things that are important to me? And I am looking forward to, we were talking today, like we probably aren't going to be able to get much help with the baby until this COVID stuff is, until there's a vaccine because we're not comfortable. We're just, our comfort level isn't there. Um, Now, something that we have had that has been incredible was Matt's mom lives in town. And I can't remember when this was. It was probably like a month ago, maybe six weeks ago. We let her come into our bubble and she let us into her bubble as well. And so she started coming over a couple times a week to take care of Bradley. And at first it was one hour, I think it was one hour, three times a week. And then maybe on the weekend, if she was available, like a lot of times there's people in town or things are happening. So we haven't really had that weekend time, but there's been a few times Matt and I have got out on our bike together. But there are some weeks where she comes for now we have it where she comes for two hours right before or right after Matt has the baby. So that's also enabled me to have four more hours of time where I can either choose to use that time training or I can choose to use that time to be recording podcasts or having meetings or or writing. So that's also been really, really helpful. And I'm so thankful that she's in town and that she can do that. And it's been it's just been really fun to be able to share that experience. Yeah, having any kind of support has been great. And again, we where we live in British Columbia and BC has been really, really good with COVID and managing COVID. Part of it, to be honest, is because British Columbia is so big and there's so few people in it. <laughs> we're, not, we're not stacked on top of one another. So, And we live in a, a town where there's a room and we're lucky enough to live here so that uh, and we have a house we're not in, in high density living. And that has made management of COVID a lot better. So it's been more comfortable for us to allow our sharing of bubbles uh, with my mom. And again, she's self-isolating and doing all those good things as well. But yeah, time management has been interesting. It's been a challenge, but it's been a fun challenge. And all those things that people have told us, which was, oh my God, you're never going to sleep again. You're never going to have any time for yourself. Say goodbye to the things you love, like travel and date nights and all those things. And you hear like, it's like this I don't know why everyone piles on these stories of just awfulness. Just maybe it's some kind of a contest of who had it worse. <laughs> I don't know. But in truth, even though we're going through the nitty gritty of what's happening with what we're working through and what we're working on, it hasn't felt like a drag or hard or, or I'm pining for the days when like oh. in no way, shape or form is it that way. There's so it's so much fun having a little guy and a little baby and it's such an adventure and such a a point of growth for a couple in their partnership to learn how to work together and how to see them becoming a parent and the joy of seeing Sonia with Bradley and and vice versa the joy so far outweighs the challenges and i think most parents lead with the challenges rather than with the joy and it's kind of a funny funny thing so hopefully we're giving some just situational constructive advice for what's worked for us and the things that we're working through. But 
we really just want to focus on saying how much it's been worth it. And from two people that have been very flexible and made that our number one priority, even losing a lot of that flexibility doesn't feel like we're losing anything. It just seems like a change. Yeah, thanks for adding that in, Matt. And yeah, it's so, so true. Something that I wanted to add in with you was your training. Like, Matt's done an incredible job. I don't like the the dad bod comments because, <laughs> and I'm sorry to the the dads out there with the you know the dad bods. <laughs> I don't mean to sound like mean, but I think that people should hold themselves to a higher standard if they can. And like I said, our life, the way that our life is structured, is really different than a lot of people. And people might say like, well, Sonia, you just have it so easy. And I do. So I'm not trying to be condescending or being rude. But Matt's done an incredible job, like staying fit and making his fitness a priority. Like he like he said, he gets up at six, even when he's tired and he gets on his bike and he's actually increased his fitness a lot since Bradley was born. And that's taken a lot of dedication. And just because you have a kid doesn't mean that you have to let your fitness go. Yeah, I think the keeping yourself lean, and we'll call the dad bod, leanness issues rather than fitness issues, obviously eating a plant-based, whole foods, plant-based diet is massively helpful. You have much less concern over managing weight when you're doing that. And then fitness-wise, it's really like, like Sonia said, is carving out the time. But I have to be honest, I'm pleasantly surprised. I, I honestly, in my mind, thought, well, I will just not have time and I will not be able to to spend any time on my own personal fitness because for the first six months, I'm just going to be full-time baby or full-time work. And Sonia, right from the beginning was, well, no, no, no. Like I can support you or we can find time to make sure that you're getting your fitness and you're riding in because it's something I love. It's not just like, oh, geez, I need to be fit because it's something I need to do. It's maybe I do need to do it but it's because I love it. So by getting up at six in the morning, I'm up before the baby's up. I'm up before Sonia's up and I can get my ride in and get things done by the time the household gets rolling. And Sonia has been really supportive of making sure that it happens for me. So it's actually been really good. It's been really good for me. And it's even though Bradley's here, I'm actually fitter than I was prior to Bradley. So I'm, I'm really happy about that. Yeah. And Matt is still doing the majority of all the home chores, laundry, making sure the kitchen's cleaned up at night, making sure there's food cooked, making sure that there's groceries in the house. And having that support has been so awesome because it would be so hard not to have that. And just to wrap it up, I just want to say that we can do hard things. Like anyone listening to this podcast is somebody who is very capable of doing hard things. And I think I, I recorded another show that I'll link in the show notes about this, but the word hard doesn't have to be equated with bad. And challenge isn't bad. Like we love challenges and that's how we grow. That's how we define ourselves in a lot of ways is how, how you rise up whenever there's a challenge and, and it teaches you who you are. So I'm happy. Like whenever things get hard, I think to myself, yeah, this is hard, but I, I'm not sad that it's hard. I'm not like depressed that it's hard. It's just now I have to figure out like how to reprioritize or how to, how to like figure out how to be more flexible. And it doesn't always feel good in the moment whenever it's hard, but it's always better afterwards. It's like, that's like type two fun, I guess. But we can do hard things. Hard isn't bad. Having a baby is freaking awesome. And it's way, way more fun than I ever could have imagined. And I would never want to take it back. I would never tell somebody don't do it because it's hard. I think it's, it's just so completely worth it. And it's so incredible to get to watch this human, like figure out 
that he has hands or make a noise for the first time. Like, and, and to be able to share that with your partner and hopefully eventually with our family, <laughs> it's just been absolutely amazing. And like, I love it. So I think that that's probably a good place to wrap this up. Yeah, absolutely. I would totally agree. It's been super fun and it's been amazing. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. We've been really lucky with him and with each other. And even though COVID has been really difficult, it's actually been really good in a lot of ways for us too. So if you guys are listening to this and you have more things that you want us to cover, we'll be doing this again next month. And some of you wrote in questions and I actually just remembered that you wrote in questions. So I'm very sorry if we didn't answer those. We will be answering them in the next podcast episode, especially because we hashed out a bunch of the information that I wanted to get out. And the next one will have different things to talk about. So feel free to email us any questions. If I misspoke about something, let me know. I also will love your feedback so that I can be better at this podcast. And yeah, thanks so much for listening. We're with you in this journey of growth and personal development and adventure. And we'll see you back here next week.